Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan challenged in front of the Supreme Court today. Republican-led states accuse Biden of using the pandemic to move the plan forward. Hackers linked to the Chinese regime have been gathering an unprecedented amount of information. A new report sheds some light on which countries they're targeting. The United States has sent over $100 billion worth of aid to Ukraine. Lawmakers are now making sure none of the military aid has gotten into the wrong hands. CIA Director William Burns says Iran is just weeks away from having the capacity to make nuclear weapons. We'll hear analysis from a former diplomat and former U.S. Energy Department official. And a mayoral election underway in Chicago. Democratic Mayor Lori Lightfoot faces fierce competition as she fights for a second term. President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan is under examination. The Supreme Court heard challenges today, while supporters of the plan protested in front of the court for hours, starting last night. President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan would cancel between $10,000 and $20,000 of debt for eligible borrowers. Biden introduced the plan last summer, but a lower court halted it in November. No debt has been canceled yet. If the plan goes through, around $400 billion of debt would be canceled. Chief Justice John Roberts on Tuesday pointed out that the executive branch usually doesn't have the power to do that. Most casual observers would say if you're going to give up that much amount of money, if you're going to affect the obligations of that many Americans on a subject that's of great controversy, they would think that's something for Congress to act on. The Biden administration says it has the power to forgive the loans thanks to a rule put in place in 2003. The rule in question is the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act, or HEROES Act. It was passed after 9-11 and grants the Secretary of Education the power to waive or modify a federal student loan program. The idea is to protect borrowers in the case of military operations and national emergencies. The Biden administration argues that the COVID-19 pandemic is such a national emergency. In Tuesday's hearing, a group of Republican-led states argued that Biden is just using the pandemic to fulfill his campaign promise to erase student loan debt. Justice Neil Gorsuch explained an aspect of unfairness in the plan. People who've paid their loans, people who um, have planned their lives around not seeking loans, and people who are not eligible for loans in the first place, and that a half a trillion dollars is being diverted to one group of favored persons over others. Several groups supporting student loan forgiveness protested in front of the high court. One of the speakers was Democratic California Representative Jimmy Gomez. He advocated for debt forgiveness, saying he's still paying off his student loan debt, as you can see in this clip. Out of all the members of Congress, people think that uh, we're, we're all wealthy, we're, maybe we're well off, but I still owe $45,000 in student loan debt from my time in undergrad and graduate school. I paid off almost uh, 100,000. Now I'm wor working on the last 45,000. But not everybody is so fortunate. Most judges on Tuesday reportedly seemed skeptical of Biden's plan to forgive student debt. A decision from the high court is expected by late June. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. On Capitol Hill today, lawmakers are displaying a laser focus on countering the generational threat from the Chinese Communist Party. NTD's Melina Weiskopf is there with more details. 
U.S.-China relations is definitely a strong bipartisan topic here on Capitol Hill, and we saw that bipartisanship on full display today. Lawmakers held multiple hearings with regards to China, anywhere from the Science and Tech Committee holding hearings to address the tech competition with China, and then there are other committees addressing the economic and trade practices between the U.S. and China, as well as addressing international issues, like the U.S. asserting more support for Taiwan in the face of increased CCP aggression against the region. Now, why is China such a pressing issue for lawmakers on Capitol Hill? Well, here's the chairman of the Select Committee on China commenting on it earlier today. Do we want to live in an Orwellian world of total totalitarian techno control, a world that looks like Xinjiang light, or do we want to live in the free world where we are free from fear of repression, free? to choose our own future. I wanted to know what are Congress members' top priorities for addressing China, and here's what some lawmakers told me. Certainly, uh, Russia, uh, China's possible engagement uh, with Russia on the war in Ukraine. Uh, we see that as a grave threat and a grave danger uh, to global order. So that'll be number one. My bill will be coming up that deals with organ harvesting, forced organ harvesting. And the fact that the Chinese Communist Party under Xi Jinping is murdering between 60 to 100,000 average age 28-year-old uh, men and women in China, Uyghurs, uh, uh, Falun Gong practitioners, to steal their organs is something that is Nazi-like. Um, and, and uh, barbaric. So our bill would, would hold to account in that supply chain. And why should Americans care that organs are being harvested in China? Well, anyone who does get a transplantation should be very aware of its source to ensure that that person voluntarily offered their organ, be a heart, liver, or whatever it might be, that they were indeed dead at the time of the, of the organ transplant. Uh, but in China, everything is reversed. Uh, they go and pick and call, as they call it, uh, you know, these, these very healthy people. And the Falun Gong practitioners are extraordinarily healthy uh, because of their religious practices, because of, of their lifestyle. So they become victimized by the Chinese Communist Party as the victims to, to steal their organs. Where there are violations of human rights, I think that the United States and all uh, nations uh, have a, 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 a obligation to speak up. And combating forced organ harvesting is one of the many bills that the Foreign Affairs Committee marked up today. Many of those bills are expected to gain strong bipartisan support when the House brings them up for a full floor vote later this Congress. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Spying efforts by the Chinese regime don't stop at spy balloons. A new report says hackers linked to China have been gathering far more information. CrowdStrike, a leading cybersecurity firm, recently published its annual Global Threat Report. It identifies China-linked hackers as the most active targeted intrusion groups in 2022. It says cyber espionage groups linked to China have targeted 39 industries in the U.S. and around the world. Around a fourth of the attacks targeted countries in North America. The head of intelligence at CrowdStrike, Adam Myers, says they're endemic at this point. They're everywhere. In North America, the hackers have targeted the following industries, NGOs, government, defense, academic, healthcare, aerospace, financial, legal, technology, insurance, industrials and engineering, pharmaceutical, telecommunications, and manufacturing.
The report says these intrusions were likely intended to collect strategic intelligence, compromise intellectual property, and further the surveillance of targeted groups, all of which are key Chinese Communist Party intelligence goals. The report finds that the region most targeted by Chinese hackers in 2022 was Taiwan. In particular, Taiwan-based technology organizations were overwhelmingly targeted. The report concludes that cyber espionage remains a critical instrument to support the CCP's strategic and economic ambitions. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And efforts to ban Chinese-owned social media platform TikTok are picking up steam. The White House is implementing a ban on TikTok from all government devices. The Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, on Monday released guidance on implementation of the No TikTok on Government Devices Act. It requires all federal agencies to remove the app from all government devices and systems within 30 days. Federal agencies must also include a new ban on TikTok in all new solicitations within 120 days. The OMB said that the Biden administration, quote, has made advancing our nation's cybersecurity a top priority. TikTok is owned by Chinese company ByteDance, which is based in Beijing. Multiple officials and security experts have expressed concern that TikTok could be used as a tool for spying by the Chinese regime. And the United States has sent over $100 billion worth of aid to Ukraine. But has any of it gotten into the wrong hands? The House Armed Services Committee takes a closer look. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. The United States has given $113 billion worth of aid to Ukraine since its invasion by Russia one year ago. Now the House Armed Services Committee wants to make sure the military aid is not getting into the wrong hands. Undersecretary of Defense Colin Call said it's possible that Russians could capture weapons on the battlefield. But he also said there's no evidence that Ukrainians are selling those weapons on the black market. And he explained some of the systems used to track those weapons. I would just say as a general matter, you know, the inventory comes in uh, to the various uh, places in Europe uh, where the security assistance flows in. All that inventory uh, is taken note of. There's, it's scanned, et cetera. It gets given to the Ukrainians. They are responsible for giving us uh, the information on where it ends up and the logs of that information, sharing with us digital uh, uh, confirmation of where things go. They also have scanners. That information comes back to us, and they have this NATO standard uh, software uh, that helps keep inventory, which we also uh, have access to that information, and uh, we do these site visits. Senator Mike Johnson asked the Inspector General for the Department of Defense, Robert Storch, about dealing with the Ukrainian government. We at the DOD OIG, we don't go out and count the, count the missiles, right? right? We don't do the monitoring. It's up to the DOD to meet the requirements of the law and the policies that implement it regarding monitoring. And then we do oversight to make sure that's happening, that it's happening in accordance with the law and it's happening appropriately. And we make recommendations to help the DOD to improve that. And Representative Matt Gates wanted to know if the Defense Department is following the law. He asked Storch to testify that the DOD has complied with the Arms Use Control Act of 1996. It requires in-use monitoring for certain defense articles that are sold or leased. You cannot testify that we have complied with the in-use monitoring requirements at all times during this conflict, can you? So our, our, we have an ongoing evaluation right now. I get right that it's now. ongoing. I'm looking backwards. You cannot testify that everything is complied with the law and the in-use monitoring, can you? 
So uh, some of that gets into the classified report that right, we issued right. previously. But I think everyone watching this could but, see that if you could testify to that, you would. You're citing a classified report. I don't know why that report's classified. I think the American people deserve to know if this 1996 law is being followed or not. You can't testify that it is being followed, and so I think they can draw reasonable conclusions from that. The remainder of the hearing continued on in a classified setting to discuss details that can't be made public. Jason Perry, NTD News. Turning now to another looming threat, CIA Director William Burns says it may be only a matter of weeks before Iran is capable of enriching uranium to 90% purity. Burns told CBS Sunday that if it reaches that stage, the regime would be capable of making nuclear weapons, a prospect that former diplomat and former U.S. Department of Energy Deputy Assistant Secretary for Policy and International Affairs Bart Marcois tells me is more alarming than any other threat facing the world right now. I spoke with Bart earlier today. Bart Marcois, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Stephanie. It's nice to be back. CIA Director William Burns says Iran could be just a matter of weeks from being able to manufacture nuclear weapons. How alarming is this to you? Oh, I think it's the single most alarming thing in the world right now. It, it surpasses even China as a threat. Uh, imagine what it would be like when somebody who has a millenarian outlook on life, they, they're looking to provoke the end of the world, the, the rulers of Iran. Uh, most people hesitate to use nuclear weapons because they don't want to die. These guys welcome death as, uh, as a glorious martyrdom. Uh, nothing will stop them from using this against their enemies or from using it to intimidate their neighbors. It is, the, it is a frightful development. The Iranians, the trigger that will provoke them to use nuclear weapons is if they have them. They will use them. They will use them first to bully their neighbors. They'll use them to bully Saudi Arabia. They'll use them to attack Israel. They will use them if they have them. This is not Russia. This is not North Korea. This is not China. There's no, there's no deterrence. There's no mutual assured deterrence here. They would welcome a nuclear exchange. They want to, they want to destroy Israel, America, and the Sunni uh, Muslims that, uh, that control the majority of, uh, of Islam in the world the nuclear uh, deal with Iran. Some mm -hmm. are blaming former President Trump for pulling out of that deal, which had imposed restrictions on enriching uranium. Trump had said that the deal was ineffective, but Iran has announced more enrichment since then. What's your analysis? Well, some are blaming Trump for the asteroids that hit the Earth and killed the dinosaurs and everything since then. Uh, it's nonsense to blame Trump. Trump was the one who slowed Iran's development of weapons. Iran never stopped developing weapons. They never stopped enriching uraniums. The so-called safeguards that the JCPOA, the, the, the Iran deal imposed on Iran, were toothless. The inspections allowed for, they demanded that Iran be given two weeks notice before any inspection. What kind of inspection is that? if they've got two weeks to hide all the evidence. What Trump did was he imposed such crippling sanctions on Iran that they were running out of money. And if you want to win a war, you deprive your opponent of money. But 
it was Obama and Biden who have let they've given up control of the reins and taken off the curbs on Iran and let Iran run rampant. And it's been since Trump has been out of office, Biden lifted so many sanctions on Iran immediately. And now they're reimposing a few, but they're meaningless compared to what he lifted. He lifted all the secondary sanctions on, on the European countries and the Asian countries for doing business with Iran. Nothing else matters than those. There are many unknowns in dealing with a regime like Iran's. With that in mind, what do you think the U.S. should do to ensure world peace at this time? There are many unknowns. What we can do is immediately start producing more energy from the United States, lower the cost of oil in the world oil markets, deprive Iran of the value of their share of the world oil market, and reimpose the sanctions, all of the sanctions, including the secondary sanctions on France and Germany and any country that does any kind of deal, any kind of trading with Iran, that's when it bites. And that's when within 18 months, within 14 months, maybe eight months, Iran would buckle again because they would be out of money. Bart Markoys, former Assistant Secretary for Policy and International Affairs with the U.S. Department of Energy. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Stephanie. Always a pleasure. In Chicago, voters are heading to the polls today for the city's mayoral election. Incumbent Mayor Lori Lightfoot faces eight challengers as she seeks re-election. The Democrat faces three challengers from her own party. Among them are Paul Vallis, a former CEO of Chicago Public Schools and budget director for the city, Brandon Johnson, a member of the Cook County Board of Commissioners, and Congressman Chuy Garcia. Vallis has the support of Chicago police unions and promotes himself as a law and order candidate. He has hammered Lightfoot over the rise in crime. Johnson, meanwhile, has the support of the Chicago Teachers Union. None of the nine candidates are likely to get over half of the votes. In that case, the top two candidates will be heading into a runoff in April. And last week, the Supreme Court heard a case involving Google and a federal law that protects Internet companies from liability for content posted by its users. One plaintiff is a mother who lost her daughter during the 2015 ISIS terror attacks in Paris. NTD's Jackie Rios spoke with that mother regarding the case. Beatriz Gonzalez lost her daughter, Noemi Gonzalez, seven years ago during the 2015 Paris terror attacks. She was studying abroad in Paris at the time. Noemi was the only American murdered by Islamic State extremists that day. She was only 23 years old when, when she left this earth, but, but by that time probably she was having more life than what many people have in their whole life. Yeah, she was full of life. Now, Beatriz is speaking out in hopes of changing a law that grants certain immunities to social media companies. She's part of a lawsuit that alleges Google's YouTube algorithms are partially to blame for the 2015 attacks. The U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments for the case on February 21st. This is the first time the justices have taken a case regarding Section 230. Because in the beginning I thought it's Google. 
and the other platforms, Twitter, YouTube. But now that we are here, it's, a, it's like a small victory. Google and YouTube are protected from liability for content posted by their users. This stems from a 1996 federal law known as Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. The lawsuit claims that YouTube, through its video sharing platform computer algorithms, unlawfully recommended videos produced by the Islamic State to certain users. The lawsuit seeks to limit or moderate how much control platforms have over their content. If this case doesn't go to change anything yet, but at least we're studying something. This platform, Google, let the people take advantage in the wrong way by publishing all the videos, and um, I hope that this, this change for, for the good. The San Francisco 9th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals tried to use this law to dismiss the lawsuit. The justices could decide whether to modify or upend the law and change protections given to Internet companies' social media platforms. Meanwhile, tech giants are worried it will cause unending litigation. Jack Uriels, NTD News, Norwalk, California. If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. Coming up, the NBA's all-time leading scorer is sidelined with an ankle injury at a critical juncture. Find out how much time LeBron James could miss. And several elected officials in Utah gave high praise to Shen Yun after watching a performance in Salt Lake City. They say they were thankful for its message. Stay tuned for more after this short break. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Lakers star LeBron James is expected to be out at least a couple of weeks with a foot injury suffered in Sunday's win over Dallas, according to multiple reports. The four-time MVP is said to be re-evaluated in two weeks. However, the actual timetable for his return is believed to be well beyond that. The timing is especially damaging to LA's hopes of making the postseason. The disappointing Lakers have won three straight and sit just half a game back of the final postseason play-in spot, but with just over a month left in the season, every game is critical. Since James' arrival there five years ago, the Lakers have lost more than 60% of the games he's missed. The 38-year-old is currently 7th in the league in scoring at nearly 30 points a game, while his 7 assists per game are good for 12th. And in baseball news, the Major League Baseball Players Association reported that salaries rose nearly 15% last year to a record high $4.2 million per player average. That's up from an average of $3.7 million in 2021. Last offseason saw major deals handed out to stars like Max Scherzer, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, and Francisco Lindor. The trend has only continued this offseason as the New York Mets have a projected payroll of roughly $370 million, which is well past the previous record of nearly $300 million set by the Dodgers in 2015. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, 10 NBA games are on the docket featuring the Milwaukee Bucks, who've won a league-high 14 straight games playing at the Brooklyn Nets. And finally, for you hockey fans, 10 NHL games are on 
featuring the still-hot Boston Bruins, who've won seven in a row and are on pace to break the record for most points in a season. They play at Calgary. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thank you, Dave. State representatives and a mayor in Utah recently praised Shenyun's performances in Salt Lake City. They say they believe its traditional cultural stories are still relevant even today. Public officials in Utah offered their proclamations and enjoyed seeing Shen Yun performing arts at the George S. and Dolores Dory Eccles Theater in Salt Lake City. Shen Yun had six performances from February 21st through the 25th. It is magnificent. It's inspiring and enlightening and deeply touching. Just their costumes, they're so vibrant and colorful, but also there's meaning behind each dance and that's what I love about it. It's beautiful. It was very, I mean, they're so disciplined. I, I couldn't sit still myself, but they were so good at every motion they did. The New York-based Shen Yun showcases a China before communism. Some of the dance stories shed light on the persecution happening in China over freedom of belief. But right now, what's happening over there in China just breaks my heart. And so you can't display your feelings openly. And so there's a lot of meaning here with these dances that I really appreciate. My wife and I, when we come here, we're just uplifted every time. Utah theatergoers also appreciated a connection with the performance. The talent is, of course, spectacular. Off the charts, amazing. But maybe even more than that is what I felt when I sit there and, and got the message and felt the feelings that I was feeling was just incredible. You know, with my religion and what I believe is also being depicted here in, in this. And, and that's the other thing. It's tied to a higher spiritual being and, and, and recognizing the sacredness of that, that. That's what's wonderful in this whole uh, performance. I was impressed by the uh, spiritual side and the, uh, the emphasis on culture and values and family and other, other things that we all resonate with, things that bind us as uh, civilization and, and things that are divine as well. NTD News, Salt Lake City, Utah. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.